Welcome to An Amazingly Ordinary Life, the podcast that takes a behind-the-scenes look at the world of special needs. I'm Sherry Tharp, an autism mom and your host. Join me each week as we share our lives, build community, and redefine normal. This is An Amazingly Ordinary Life, episode number 13. Today, I'll be talking with Tara Bashaw, a mom of eight who also deals with two kids with special needs, including hearing loss, diabetes, and Down syndrome. Tara, it's so good to meet you. Thank you for taking time out of your day to come and chat with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'd like to start with just having you introduce yourself and your family and just giving us a chance to get to know you all a little bit better. Yeah, so I'm Tara Busha. I am from Minnesota, and I've been married to my husband, Joe, for just about 19 years, but we've been together for about 27. We have eight kids. And ranging in age from 26 to four. Wow. And we have three grandkids as well. Yeah. So little fun fact, our oldest daughter and me were pregnant at the same time with her first two and my last two. So <laughs> yeah. You have two kids that we're going to be talking about today. Why don't you introduce us to them? Yeah, so I have Taylor, who is 23, and she was diagnosed with moderate to severe hearing loss at the age of four, where 95% of speech is inaudible to her without hearing aids. She is also type 1 diabetic. And then Mm -hmm. I have Carter, who is six now, and he was born with Down syndrome. We didn't know until we had him, so he was a birth diagnosis. So those are the two that have taught me lots of life lessons, and it's been actually amazing. Well, let's start with your daughter then, since she's the oldest. Was she born with this hearing loss? We don't think so. She, For her first year of life, she actually had recurring ear infection. And what's interesting is that I wouldn't know that she had an ear infection until we would go to the doctor for like her well child checks, you know, two months, four months, six months, whatever. And what's funny is that today she still has a super high pain tolerance. And so you very rarely know when she's got issues going on. And so the doctor, she has a raging ear infection. How do you not know this? And I'm like, she hasn't cried. It hasn't bothered her. Like, I don't know. And so because these ear infections were so bad, she ended up with scar tissue. Mm. And so that is where they feel the hearing loss came in because we didn't actually notice until she was about three because she would, you know, we talk kind of loud anyways, because I have hearing loss. and So does my husband. And so we just kind of always talk loud. And so we didn't really notice until about three when she wasn't saying certain words correctly. She wouldn't notice like a loud noise behind her. And then when I brought her in to get testing, then that's kind of how we figured it out. But I didn't know 100% for sure, because she made do. And so it was kind of a huge surprise to find out that she had that much of a hearing loss. So that's been a journey for sure. So how does that affect her day-to-day life when, especially at that age, you said she just kind of made do. Did you notice anything in her learning? I guess at that age, she wasn't in school yet. Right. So that was, I think, part of the delay in figuring it out because when I brought her to the doctor, kind of had brought up my concerns and he's like, well, she's really too little to kind of do a hearing test, you know, and so you can't put her in a booth. And at that point, I don't know that the, she had an ABR done eventually, which is an auditory brainstem response, where they put you to sleep and they can detect the way your eardrums in the sound kind of bounce back from, you know, out the ear. And I think my, our general doctor 
didn't really know that that test existed. So when he consulted with an ENT and this ENT told him, yeah, we do have a test that can check out a young child that's too young to go into a booth. Then that's when we went and had that particular test done. And so we didn't know right off the bat, like I said, because she made do and she would hear certain things. And then we just thought, well, maybe she just isn't paying attention. But when we realized then that it was affecting her, we did kind of start to put the pieces together. Like when somebody would talk to her, she would ignore them. And we thought it was kind of a behavior thing at first. And we realized it was because she couldn't hear them. So there were a lot of things that were really eye-opening to us once we realized what the exact problem was. You know, most parents don't go around thinking that your child is almost deaf, you know, when they can hear things. But what happened was, is obviously she was hearing certain tones. And so like she could hear her dad because her dad has got a very deep, loud voice. She could hear him no problem. But it was more of like the high-pitched voices that she couldn't hear. And so we really just started piecing those together. And so we had to be careful, like when she went to school, like who her teachers had to be somebody that we knew she could hear their tone. And she was able to get some equipment when she went to school that would help amplify her hearing. And so there were just different things that we had to make accommodations for as she got older. And now, of course, she's 23 and the technology that they have now is just amazing. So it really isn't a huge, huge issue for her anymore, thankfully, because of the technology. So it's been a learning process, though, the whole way. I mean, people don't realize the issues and like today with COVID going on, you know, she relies on reading lips a lot Mm. in addition to her hearing aid. And with everybody wearing masks, she can't read their lips. And so it is causing some issues for her in her everyday life right now because of what we're going through. But before it wasn't, she was doing just fine. Yeah. So they were able to give her some accommodations at school. So was she able to stay in the gen ed classes throughout school? She did mostly stay in the general mainstream classes. She had an IEP and they did pull her out in some classes to have some additional help. But what I found was that they were pulling her out of class when the special ed teacher could work with her. And they were pulling her out during some really important stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I found just in her particular case that she was being hindered more than helped by being pulled out. So as she got older, we stopped that and we just made sure that they made accommodations for her in the classroom, whether that was sitting up front so that she could be reading lips and she could see the teacher. The teachers were well aware that like they couldn't turn their back and be writing on the chalkboard and like lecturing at the same time, like they had to be facing her and so like they would oftentimes have her sitting like in the front like corner of the room so that way when they were writing you know they were like facing her um so different things like that they did do she actually had what was called an fm system which is a microphone system where the teacher would wear it and it would feed directly into her hearing aids and so she would hear that and she wore that yeah it was really neat until the teachers forgot that they had it on and she would have to hear them going to the bathroom. Oh no. Or having um, <laughs> Yeah. They would like go out to the hallway and have a conversation with like another kid or with another teacher and they'd forget that they had this on oh, and she'd no. hear everything. And so then at that point it just got to be like uncomfortable. Like she would be hearing things that weren't very comfortable. <laughs> so, yeah, things she wasn't like, meant yeah, to hear. <laughs> 
So, yeah, so that was kind of a, I mean, we laugh now. It was kind of funny, but at the same time, not. So, but they did okay accommodating her as much as they could. What was interesting is she was the only deaf and hard of hearing kid in the school district for like her final few years in school. There had been a couple throughout her journey, but then they moved away or whatever. And so she was the only one. And so it was a little bit harder for them to accommodate fully, you know, compared to if they had had a bunch of kids with the same issue, but we made do. She did good. So she graduated and everything. So that was what was important. Well, good. As somebody who is almost completely deaf, how did she learn to read lips? Is that something that you just practice over time? Is there a way for her to learn that? I think she just, because she can hear fairly decently with her hearing needs, I think it was just a combination of, you know, listening to what they were saying and putting all the context together along with reading their lips to just kind of put all of the pieces together. You know, it was kind of like a puzzle for her. And one thing that Parents don't realize, especially when they have a child that's trying to do that, she would be so exhausted at the end mm. of the day from trying to hear. I mean, for one, you're, you're straining to hear, and then you're trying to figure out what people are saying by reading their lips. And so she was literally exhausted at the end of every day, like going to school, and then you're trying to think on top of it and trying to do all of your homework assignments. So it was really exhausting physically exhausting and mentally exhausting for her to do all that it was a necessity I don't know that it was necessarily like practice it was just something she had to do in order to get by and to communicate it was frustrating though for her as a teenager especially because kids just don't always have the patience to repeat themselves and so she would miss out on a lot you know being in the classroom setting and kids talking over each other, you know, that was difficult. And, you know, she didn't want to constantly be like, huh, huh? And so she would oftentimes just play along like she heard what they said, even though she was completely lost. And so that affected her as well in terms of just overall confidence and wanting to put herself out there and be out there. She was very active, like in sports and stuff, and she tried to stay kind of close-knit with her sports teams. But, you know, it was a challenge for her. Did she have a few friends that she was able to rely on? Yep, she did. She had quite a few. There were a couple like on her sports teams. And then there was one girl that actually moved to where we are. She was only here for a year, but that year was long enough for them to just make like this massive connection because she moved away a year later and they both went through high school years in different cities with only seeing each other once or twice a year. And to this day, they're still best friends. Aww. And so it was just, You know, to have that one person that just doesn't judge you and treats you for who you are. And, you know, she was a godsend. And it was like, you know, she was meant to be here just for that year. But it was enough to make that impact. So, yeah. Good. Good for her. Has she learned sign at all? Or does she strictly rely on her hearing aids and her lip reading? Yeah, strictly on hearing aids and lip reading. I wanted to have her learn sign early on because at that time the doctors didn't know like if she would end up losing more hearing eventually or if it would stay the same they were kind of unsure what was going to happen and so I wanted to but you know back then we didn't have things like signing time and those things didn't exist back then and so I wasn't exactly resourceful way back when like I am now you know because now I'm used to advocating and looking for those types of things so back then I wanted to but I didn't know where to turn or how to do it and then by the time 
we figured it out, you know, she was just like, yeah, I'm good. I've been doing this long enough. <laughs> so, yeah. So is she able to be outside of COVID when it's, again, it is difficult to see. I mean, you can't see anybody's mouth moving. You can't read any lips. Outside of that, is she pretty independent? Yep, she is. She she actually works in a restaurant. She's actually a waitress. And that has been kind of what she's done for the last many years. And so it's been really interesting to me that she chose that as her job and that she really likes that because of all of the extra noise that comes with being in a restaurant and in a bar or whatever. She works like in a bar and grill. And there's a lot of noise. But what's interesting is the technology that she has for the hearing aid. They're like smart hearing aids. And so they're able to like record her environment when she's wearing them. And then she was able to go to the audiologist and they were able to adjust her hearing aids to drown out that background noise for her. Oh, wow. And so like able to hear just, you know, like the people that are in front of her or whatever and drown out all of the clinking and the clanking that comes with the rush and all the talking. And so technology has literally become so amazing. I mean, in fact, I think it was two sets of hearing aids ago. She, for the first time, heard this at the end of words. She couldn't get that sound. And so when she got her set of hearing aids, and all of a sudden she was hearing the S sound, she literally started crying because that was the first time she'd ever like heard that sound. And so technology today is just, it's something amazing. Wow. That's amazing that she's able to get that. And it probably gives her an advantage too, as being a waitress, to be able to drown out that background noise and just pay attention to her customers. Well, and that's exactly it. She's able to converse with them. It really, really helped to be able to drown out that background noise. And then they also, the hearing aids now today, obviously cell phones are, I mean, they're newer in the last you know, 15 years or whatever, but she's also able to program them to her phone. And so when phone calls come in, she's able to just feed right to her hearing aid. So that's also nice. Wow. Technology is just fascinating. It really, really is. So yeah, so that's been her journey so far. It's been okay. Does she still live at home with you? No, she's been on her own since she was 19, so four years. Like I said, she's type 1 diabetic as well, so that's been very nerve-wracking for me because like, when she has a Dexcom, which is a continuous glucose monitor, and it alarms when her blood sugar is low or high, and of course, like at night, she's got her hearing aids out, she can't hear it. And so that's kind of a little nerve wracking for me. But luckily, she lives with somebody. And so I'm able to call them and be like, her blood sugar's low, go wake her up. But yeah, I mean, she's, she's learned her way, you know, she's the second of eight kids. And so she's, you know, helped take care of the younger kids. And so I mean, she's capable, she's responsible. And that is a huge peace of mind. You know, she was a irresponsible 23 year old you know we'd be talking a different story but (laughs) she's pretty good so good it sounds like she's doing amazing yeah she is she she does really well good so tell us about your son now so carter is six he'll be seven in november he's number seven in the lineup and the whole journey with him so i actually had told my husband that i was pregnant And then a week later, my husband ended up suffering a stroke at the age of 37. And so while I was pregnant with Carter, we were dealing with my husband's recovery and, you know, all the stuff that comes with having a stroke. And so, you know, I kind of knew that something was different about the pregnancy, but 
we were so preoccupied with everything that I just really didn't give it a whole lot of thought until we were getting closer to the end of it. And then it was kind of time where I was able to tell the doctor, okay, like I felt like something was different this whole time, but I just kind of brushed it off. We've been busy. I said, but like, I don't feel like I'm growing as big as I was with the other kids and I'm not waddling, <laughs> you know, that was like mm -hmm. a big thing. I said, I'm not really gaining a whole lot of weight. Something's off. And so he's like, okay, well, we'll do some checking. And so I was 30. Five, I think when I was pregnant with him. So I was at that, you know, at risk point or whatever. And so the doctor decided to start doing like weekly ultrasounds and they were checking the amniotic fluid and they were checking the growth and they were checking everything. And he was fine on all the ultrasounds until I was 38 weeks. One day, the doctor noticed that my amniotic fluid was almost gone. And I had just had an ultrasound five days before that. So anyways, he's like, we need to get the baby out. You need to be induced today and we got to get him out. He stopped growing, you know, it should be fine. And I live in a small town and we have a hospital and I delivered all my other babies there. But the doctor was like, you better just be somewhere where there's a NICU just in case. And I said, okay. So I went to the neighboring town and I was induced and he was born. And sure enough, it took the NICU team six minutes to get him breathing. Oh my God. Yeah. And what was interesting was a week before I had him, stuff about Down syndrome started popping up in my Facebook newsfeed just randomly. And it was so bizarre because then I'm like, he's going to have Down syndrome, isn't he? You know? And it just, that was what was in my head. Like I just had it in my head. And so when he was born and they got him breathing and they kind of put him up to me, I looked at him and I knew. I mean, it yeah. was so crazy. It was like I was given this warning sign. And so he was born and they took him back. And then the doctor came in a little while later and said, we think he has Down syndrome. He's got some other health issues and he's going to have to be life flighted to Minneapolis Children's Hospital, which is five hours away from where I live. And so he had to be life flighted that night. And of course, I couldn't go with him because I had just had him. Right. And so I, I was able to get out of the hospital the next day, though. And I was able to go down to Minneapolis then. And he had to have surgery at three days old. He was supposed to have it at two days old, but he ended up having to have a platelet transfusion because his platelets were low and they couldn't do surgery until they brought him up. And then, yeah, so then the journey with him, then he had a duodenal atresia. That was what he had to have fixed, which is like the intestine didn't grow together properly. So he had to have that fixed. And then he had two holes in which he had to have repaired at four months old. And that went great. The surgery went great. He was recovered. We went home after eight days in the hospital. And then two days later, all of a sudden, I knew something was wrong with him. And I brought him to the doctor and they kind of shooed me away saying, like, you just had heart surgery. You know, so we went home and a few hours later, I was like, this isn't right. So we went to a different hospital and everybody started rushing in, the neonatologists and NICU and ER doctors and everybody. And basically his stats were dropping and they were like, he's got to be life flighted back. He's got an infection of some sort. So we literally had an hour to get our stuff together and fly back to Minneapolis. And so we did that and we were there for think two weeks then that time they thought they were gonna have to go in and do surgery to clean out the infection but luckily they didn't and so he survived that and we went home and we were home all summer and then he kept having like recurring symptoms what seemed like pneumonia and it wasn't until a couple months later they realized that it was in fact not pneumonia 
it was his bowels coming up into his chest. He had a diaphragmatic hernia that was going to have to be repaired. So we went back down to Minneapolis to have that repaired. And that was getting pretty dire too, because it was that bowel was like laying on his lungs. And so his oxygen saturations would go down. So they did the surgery. It was supposed to be like a go home the same day. It was supposed to be a same day surgery, but they were going to keep us overnight because we were so far away from home. And it turned out that something happened and they couldn't get him off the ventilator. And he ended up being on the ventilator for like three and a half weeks, I think. And it was a bad deal because it was like he kept waking up. The more narcotics they gave him, he'd get used to them and then he'd wake mm-hmm. up and they'd have to give him more. It was kind of like a double-edged sword because it was like they were trying to keep him asleep because he's on a ventilator, but yet they couldn't get him off the ventilator because he wasn't awake enough to breathe on his own. And then finally a doctor came in. It was a new doctor. He's like, we're just going to pull him off the ventilator. We're going to see what happens. And he did great, but they forgot to change his medication dosing. And so all of a sudden I noticed after a while he wasn't waking up and they ended up having to do blood gases and realize that he was like in narcosis. He was basically being poisoned by his own carbon dioxide because he couldn't breathe it out because he was on Uh. narcotics so heavily. So they had to beg him and do all that fun stuff and got him breathing and everything and We were at the hospital for about another week and a half because he had to now withdrawal from his addiction to narcotics at 15 months old. And then we went home and that was it. We were done and we have not been back at the hospital for five years. Oh my word. Yeah. So it was a huge journey with him, but it was a humbling experience, I guess you could say, almost having lost him several times and seeing all the other families that were at this hospital that were dealing with horrific things that people don't want to deal with. And so I really do look at him as a blessing. I mean, not only because he's my child, but also just this like view that he gave me of other people's world that I didn't have full knowledge of at the time. That was the first part of the journey (laughs) with him. That was a long answer to your question. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you've gone through a lot with this kid. How's he doing now, though? I mean, as far as... Yeah, health-wise, he's great. He's doing all of the typical things. He's supposed to be, you know, in kindergarten this year. I homeschool, so, Mm -hmm. you know, I've kind of been dabbling with just some schoolwork between now, but, like, this year he'll officially be in kindergarten. He does some signing. I learned from Taylor, so we did learn, and we do some signings. He does say some words. He can ride a bike with training wheels. He can pedal backwards even, which is awesome. He jumps on a trampoline like he's any, you know, typical kid. He taunts his little brother. He knows how to tease him. So he's doing great functionally in that way. It's funny because he thrives on repetition, which is a huge thing with kids with Down syndrome. They thrive on repetition. And so it's funny because he literally mimics his dad and everything that he does. Like he'll be standing there with his hands on his hips and Carter will do the same thing. And he's just, he could just see him watching his dad just intently, everything that he does. He thrives on watching everybody else. Oh, good. He's able to sign. He has some words, so he doesn't have any trouble communicating, and he's able to get his point across. Oh, yeah. He's not very understandable to mm-hmm. probably anybody else out of the family. I get that. Um, and we even have time sometimes understanding what he's trying to say, but 
he will go get it or point to it or, you know, try to do a sign. So yeah, he very much, he gets his point across when he needs to for sure, which has been nice. So how are all the other siblings? How do they all deal with all the different things that have popped up between their brother and their sister? I have three older kids and then I've got like the younger five or whatever. And so when the other three, the older three were younger and and Taylor was kind of dealing with all this stuff, there was definitely some jealousy going on because, you know, Taylor had a lot of appointments. So we'd always have to be gone together and there, and there was some jealousy, but As she got older, obviously, and more kids started to come into play, you know, all the kids just realized, like, that's life, and we're going to deal with it, and we're going to support her, and we're going to help. And so everybody really has been just supportive, everything. In fact, when I was at the hospital with Carter, and I was gone, the next sibling to Taylor is Joey, and he's four years younger than Taylor. And he volunteered to like be checking her blood sugars while I was gone because dad was still recovering from the stroke and trying to take care of the other kids. And so the 13 year old's like, yeah, I'll check her blood sugar or whatever. And he had no problems doing that. So they all have pitched in and they all take care of each other, which has been nice. And after Carter was born, in fact, all the older kids started fighting over who was going to get Carter when the day comes that <laughs> dad and I aren't here. You know, even like if it's 40 years down the road they're like he's gonna come and live with us I'm like he may live on his own like I don't know that yet they're all very much like no he gets to come and live with us like that's how impactful Carter has been to our family like they all just eat him up you know they just they love him so much that's so sweet you always hope for that with siblings that they'll just kind of all rally together around everybody do you have a good support system outside your family because that's a lot to be dealing with to where you're having to take care of Carter while your husband's recovering and you still have seven more kids or at that point, I guess six more kids at home. Yeah. So at the time I was really close with my mom and dad. My mom just passed away in February now, so she's not around anymore, but she was super supportive through the whole process. My mother-in-law was great. I've got four siblings that were, you know, always willing to help out. I, I definitely had a great support system within my family. And then even with my friends, you know, they always said if I needed anything, Obviously, I could call, but, you know, it was hard for them to really put themselves into my shoes because they weren't dealing with any of that type of stuff. My best friend had just had a preemie baby like two years prior to that. So she had her hands full, but she still, you know, offered like, call me and talk to me. Like I did the whole NICU thing, you know, I'll try and support you in any way I can, but like, I'm still navigating this myself. So I did, I was fortunate. I know a lot of people don't have that support system and it is important for sure. Yeah, there is nothing scarier than seeing your brand new little baby, tiny little baby on a stretcher going off to surgery. Oh man, I feel you on that. I only had to deal with it once when my son was two days old, so I can't even imagine having to do it over and over again. But he's made it through. So tell me a little bit about, with Taylor, what was the thing that was the most stressful or that you guys had to struggle with the most? You know, honestly... I mean, she did really great in terms of complying and and doing all the things that she needed to do. But the biggest struggle, I feel, was school. She was very self-conscious about her hearing aids. She really didn't want to wear them. You know, and then when she had the FM system that I was talking about, it added like this much more to her hearing aid, you know, because that's where like the speaker Mm. was coming from with teachers would speak. 
And so she was very self-conscious about it. She didn't want to ask for help in school because she just didn't want to, uh, you know, it wouldn't have been a big deal if she didn't have the hearing aids, right? But because she had the hearing aids, because she was already different, she didn't want to ask for help. And so she just struggled in school, especially in their earlier years, because she was so self-conscious about him. And then enter in the diabetes at nine, that made it even worse because then she's like, well, now I got to go and check my blood sugar and people are watching me when I take a shot. And, And so it really truly was just the school environment that was the most difficult for her and not wanting to stand out. So you didn't homeschool her? No. She ended up towards, I think her sophomore and junior year, we did like online public school at the time. And then she went back for her senior year. But again, that was online public school. So, I mean, she was doing the same kind of work. Now I actually homeschool the kids. So, right. Uh, and that actually came with my son, Joey, as I was mentioning before, he was having some issues in school, you know, with bullying. I mean, all mm. kids do, right? And so I really started to research it then at that time, because not only was he having issues with that, but Carter, with him being sick all the time, and the kids were coming home with colds, like every other week they were coming home sick. And every time they would, Carter would end up in the hospital. And so I'm like, okay. We've got one that's like hates going to school anyway. We've got the other ones that are coming home like sick all the time. And then we end up in the hospital and then I'm not here. So we got to figure something out. Yeah. So at one of the hospitalizations that we were at, then I like sat down and I'm like, okay, we got to figure this out. And so I started researching all the things homeschool. And so I've been homeschooling now for about five years or so, like actually homeschooling. So that's kind of how that came about. So Taylor wasn't homeschooled, no, not okay. not in the technical sense. Yeah. So then what has been your biggest struggle with Carter? Is it just all the hospitalizations? What's the big, been that biggest stress with him? Yeah, that was definitely the most stressful. Not knowing if he was going to live, not, you know, that was obviously a few at the time. Not knowing, I think the uncertainty, if, I, if I'm being completely honest, if you as a parent, when you have a child with Down syndrome and you go Google, right? Like almost everything you find is negative. And one of the things that I realized kind of through the process was that, you know, all of my typical kids all met milestones at different times. Like I had one that walked at 10 months old and I had one that didn't walk until 15 months old. And so when I'm like reading all of these things about Down syndrome, it was, they can have this could happen. And so I really had to start realizing that Carter's journey was going to be Carter's journey and not a kid with Down syndrome, right? Like it was going to be whatever he was able to do. And so I really started to realize that then that, you know, he might be able to do some things that other kids with Down syndrome can't do. And other kids with Down syndrome might be able to do things that he can't do. And as soon as I just settled with that realization like I'm just like you know what he's going to do what he's going to do and I can't compare him to anyone else I can't compare him to my typical kids I can't compare him to kids that are just like him like he's going to be his own person and as soon as I resolved on that idea it stopped being so scary because I think we live in a comparison society Taylor was 
afraid to ask for help in school because she didn't want people to judge her. She didn't want them to not think that she's equal to them. And so that's the society we live in. And so I needed to step back and out of that, which is something that we've all learned, right? And so it was a it was an adjustment period for me to step out of that and to have this whole different outlook to be thinking differently. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And I've known several Down syndrome kids and adults. And I mean, there may be some things that they share, but they're also different. Really, mm-hmm. just definitely individual kids. You can't just lump them all into one and say, this is what it's going to be like. Right. And that's what I was doing. I mean, when you go and you, you go to Dr. Google, and like that's what it, I mean, it gives you all the worst case scenarios. And like, I understand that you know, there's medical issues that go on with kids, but like, there's not a whole lot that says they're going to walk. They're eventually going to communicate. Like it it doesn't go through the things that will happen. It tells you all the things that could happen. Mm. And that sets people up for a negative journey, I think, because you're anticipating the bad instead of looking forward to what could be good. And so it was, it was a huge thing for me to have to get past that. I didn't start off too worried and too negative. I'm glad, honestly, that it was a birth diagnosis and that I was too busy with my husband's recovery to find out before we did. Because I feel like if I would have read into all that stuff on Google, I would have had a more negative connotation of what ended up happening. You know, he was born and it was like, boom, my mother instinct kicked in. And I was just going to do what I had to do to take care of him. And that, and it didn't matter if he had Down syndrome. You know, it didn't matter what was wrong. Like, that was my job to take care of him and to love him. And I remember, and this might be helpful to anybody that's listening that is pregnant and it's just you're in that journey right now. I had a nurse that came into the room after I had him to tell me that they thought he had this diagnosis. And she has a son with Down syndrome as well. And she said, the biggest piece of advice I can give you is that he is a baby, not a baby with Down syndrome. He is a baby. Like he's still going to need to be loved. He still needs to be hugged and kissed and nurtured and diapers need to be changed and he needs to be fed and whatever. And she's like, and you just need to take advantage of that opportunity and love him as you would any other baby. Because as you move forward in your journey, like you're going to learn his needs and his wants and everything else that comes with it, just like you would with any typical child. And that was like the most calming thing to me, because like I said, you go Google it and it's like this whole, like all these things that could happen. And so just settling with that one day at a time mentality, like he's a baby and I just got to do what, what we need to do for today. Yeah. And all the other stuff will come later. I feel like another benefit of not knowing until he was born too is all the months of possible stress and worry that you missed out on. You know, even if you go, okay, I totally accept this. My son has Down syndrome. Like you said, all the what could happen and and just all that stuff that's going through your brain and trying to make a plan and trying to be ready and all that stuff. You didn't have to deal with all of that so far in advance. Right. An interesting story. I had a baby after Carter and that time I decided, okay, I'm two years older now. I'm going to do the maternity 21 test because, you know, your chances increase after you've had a child with Down syndrome, your chances increase. And so I decided to do the maternity 21. It's not going to change my mind, but at least then I can be prepared this time that, you know, I might have to go down to Minneapolis again and be prepared. And so I did, and it came back positive for a different chromosomal disorder. 
And so I went through that whole pregnancy expecting that something could be wrong with the baby. And as it turned out, he ended up being born healthy. And it created all of this anxiety and all of this uncertainty about what I was going to go through. And then here the test ended up being wrong. It just was an eye opening to me. But how if I would have known with Carter, how much more stressful the pregnancy would have been because this one was and we ended up having a a healthy baby. So I did experience it, but with a different pregnancy. My goodness. So you and your husband have been through a lot and I'm sure, I mean, we're just hearing obviously certain stories, but being as married as long as you have and with the kids that you have and the experience that you've had through all of this, do you think that specifically what you've dealt with with Taylor and Carter, do you think that's brought you together or did it put a strain on your relationship? I think it actually, it brought us closer, you know, for me particularly, like my husband wasn't at the hospital, obviously, so he didn't see all the things that I saw. But for me, I think it brought us closer in the fact that, you know, we face death every single day with diabetes. And I didn't mention, but our other son, an additional son also has type one. So we have two kids that are dealing with type one. My husband had a stroke, he had a heart attack, like when he was 26. And then with Carter, I'm telling you, you can't write this stuff in the stories that keep coming if you really want wow. to. It was very much, yes, it brought us closer together in the fact that, like, we understand that life can be gone like that, right? Like, we understand we've been facing that. And people, you have this view of life, of it being so precious and so just it could be it could be done at any time and so it made us appreciate each other it made us appreciate the kids we take full advantage of that every day that a lot of people just they go on about their business because they haven't faced something like that so i i do feel that it was beneficial for our marriage and just for our family as a whole we're all super close and you know i don't know that we would have had that if we wouldn't have been forced to slow down the stroke disabled my husband so he wasn't able to go return back to work in his usual capacity and so you know he's been home able to help with the kids take care of the kids and just have that bonding experience that he wouldn't have had the opportunity to do otherwise it really has been a blessing in disguise for our family because we just we appreciate life you know we look at things with an attitude of gratitude it isn't like oh this horrible thing happened now it's like what's the silver lining of that horrible thing how did that teach us a lesson And I think that has literally changed the whole trajectory of my life and the way that I look at things. Because now, like if I hear friends talk about like just frivolous things and like to them, it's important. But for me, it's just like, I can't even go there because, you know, what we've gone through, like I I just, those trivial things that once upon a time were a big deal to me now mean nothing. You know, now it's like that, it's not a big deal. I just, I view life differently. Yeah. It's amazing what a change of perspective does to how you approach everything and how you're able to get through things. Yeah, 100%. So that year that I was pregnant with Carter, it was actually kind of funny because obviously, like I said, I was pregnant with Carter and then my husband had a stroke. And then through that time that I was pregnant and he had a stroke, just crazy things happened like our dog got loose and got run over and I remember telling my husband I'm like maybe something's gonna be wrong with the baby and like this was a blessing in disguise like it was weird you know I was already looking for reasons and lessons then my car started on fire when I was driving it like three days before I went to go have Carter just like all of these like just weird 
things. So it got to the point where like, as each bad thing happened, we almost just had to laugh it off because yeah. it was so ridiculous. It, it was something Hollywood couldn't even write, you know? And I think it was almost like it was meant to happen that way. So that when we were dealing with all the hospital stays, we were dealing with all the recoveries, like that we were thankful to be going through it. Like it was just one more thing. So we just had to deal with it and laugh because there was no other response. Right. And I, I do, I purposefully feel like that was meant to be part of our journey so that we could just get through it with a smile on our face <laughs> because there just really wasn't, I and mean, you couldn't get mad about it because why? Like it just kept happening. So that was kind of where we were at that year. So it was, it was a crazy year and a half. I relate to that so much because I started blogging a few years ago and I started sharing all these weird, random, bizarre things that happened to us. And I used to be like the biggest pessimist because all these bad things always happen. So I just expect bad things to happen. But then it just got over the years when I could see, okay, yes, these weird things happen, but we've always made it through. We've always been able to stay together and get to the other side that I finally just got to where I know no matter what happens, we're going to be okay. So like you said, all you can do is just laugh it off because nobody can make the stuff up that happens to you. I mean, it's seriously that that's all you could do is just go, yeah, okay, what's next? Life, just throw it at me because I'm ready. You know, and you just get on the yeah. other side and you just keep moving. Yeah. And I think too, a lot of people, they don't look to see why certain things happen. You know, they're just like, why me? Why me? And for me, it was like with my husband, you know, at first he was like, you know, why would this happen? I'm 37 years old. Like I'm not unhealthy. I work hard. Like what's the deal? Right. And after everything happened with Carter and him almost dying in the hospital and all of these things, and it was like, you had this stroke happen so that you could be home with the kids so I could be at the hospital. Like, that's why it happened. Because if that wouldn't have happened and he would have been at work, I would have had to have been home with the kids. Carter probably would have died, you know, because there were so many things that happened in the hospital, those mistakes that happened, which the hospital was like at full capacity. It was flu season and RSV season, right? And so if I wouldn't have been there, I mean, the nurses can't sit in the room 24-7. They would have been on their normal come check on the kid every two hours or four hours or whatever. And mother's intuition wouldn't have been there to realize what happened. So I told him, like, that's why it happened. Like, that's why. Because he's disabled enough, he can't go to work, but he can help take care of the kids, you know? Like, he can still function as a person, you know? And so it was that very in-between, like, enough that he could be there with the kids. And so, and that was really my biggest like eye-opening moment that literally like everything that has happened to us happened for a reason. And when you can see that, when you can look and be like, oh, that's why that happened. It's just this huge like eye-opening moment, I think. And, and just, it releases like all of this stress and like, you know, because like you said, why me? Right. Like you're always wondering like, why, why is this stuff happening? Um, and once you can let go of like that, why and realize why it's awesome. It's freeing. It is. And it takes a lot of hindsight It wasn't until I was able to look back at so many of these things and go, okay, yes, this was bad. Yes, it was stressful and horrible and I hated it. But look where we are now because of this. And it's only being able to look back on those things that I have been able to now, when things happen, now I'm able to go, okay, but we're going to make it through no matter what. Anything that happens will be okay because we've always been taken care of and we'll make it through together. 
And so it's having to be able to, I guess, being able to go back and look at those things is what gives me that assurance now. Oh yeah. I'm a huge advocate in hindsight is 2020 and I cannot like express that enough to people. I'm like, you have to just look back so that you can see why you're on the journey that you're on, why the things happen. And, and I know for me, like I had a lot of mom guilt when I had Carter, you know, like what did I do wrong? You know, like, did I not take care of myself? And I mean, logically I knew the down syndrome just happens. Like there's nothing that I could have done, but there were a few things early on in the pregnancy. Like I was painting and I was doing things before, like I knew I was pregnant. So then a person's like, what did I do? And I know the women, I mean, it's just an automatic thing that we do. And so it was like, you know, when you can settle on like, oh, well, you know, it was just meant to be this way. Like this was the journey was meant to be this way. There's just something settling peaceful about it. I think it's I guess, comforting. You say. Yeah, there you go. That's the word yeah. comforting. So you have eight kids. You yep. homeschool now. Two of your kids have type one diabetes. You have a daughter who is almost completely deaf and a son with down syndrome. When everything gets to be a little bit overwhelming or stressful, or do you just feel that piling on? What do you do to recharge that you can just keep going? You know, it's interesting and people think I'm crazy, but after at Carter, I started researching, I thought I was going to start a blog and I thought I was going to talk about all of the different stories and the aspects and whatever. And in my search for blogging, I came across something else, using your expertise to help others do the same thing. And so I started diving into helping other parents, caregivers, and those with disabilities find work from home or start a business from home. And so when I start feeling like stressed out and like whatever, I feel like I almost have to give up myself. Like that is kind of like my self care thing is to just volunteer I guess you could say or to pour into others that's just for me like freeing because I know I'm making a difference I don't know if that makes any sense yeah. but so people are like well you shouldn't be working like when you need time but I'm like but it distracts my mind from what I've got going on you know it allows me to dive into someone else and to help someone else so that's kind of what I do when I get stressed out I, I let it offload into helping other people I have a Facebook group it's called Laptop Life Accelerator. It is a community for online freelancers and virtual workers or people that haven't gotten started but want to. One of the reasons why I dove into that, and the blog will eventually come, mm -hmm. um, but one of the reasons I dove into that obviously was when I was at the hospital with Carter, especially when we were there for that five-week period when he couldn't get off the ventilator. I would leave the hospital room, obviously to go to the cafeteria or whatever, and there would be kids in the rooms by themselves. And I remember asking the nurse, like, what's the deal? Why are these kids by themselves? And they said, well, mom and dad, you know, live far away. And they had to go back home and go to work. They got other mm -hmm. kids. They got to take care of bills to pay. And they come on the weekends. And, of course, with my journey, I'm like, I can't imagine having to leave my kid at the hospital by themselves for a whole week and only come on the weekends and especially during that scary time and things are uncertain and especially kids that are battling cancer, right? Like I just couldn't imagine that. And so it was like, okay, I need to take my expertise and what I know and that's where I need to put my energy because I worked at home for just about 20 years, ever had my own business. And so that was really the driving force behind why I do what I do. That's one of the reasons like, you know, I think I can relate to so many people now just because like, the all these experiences happen to me and we've got all of these different things and like I know that our family is not unique and there's all these other people that are like battling 
you know, having to choose between putting food on the table and a roof over their head and their child who's potentially dying in the hospital. And I just thought families shouldn't need to be put into that situation. We should have a different choice. And that's a great resource for parents who are facing that situation because like I said, my son had surgery when he was two days old. He was in the NICU for two weeks and I had to choose between, okay, when was I going to spend time at the hospital with my newborn and when I was going to be at home with my two-year-old or almost two-year-old at that point. And so I can understand that. And my husband was working full time. So it was just me for the most part during the day and to have been able to find something like that to where, you know, if, if it's work that's pulling you away, to be able to still do that and still be with your children, that would be everything. And that was really what started it for me was that was just seeing all of these parents. Well, it's like when people, when you start to like dive into doing something and it gets hard and like you want to just back out and stay with what you know, you want to stay comfortable. I think what this, what the journey with Carter did for me was it put me into a position where I no longer had control. I just had to go with whatever it was. Like, even though the situation of being at the hospital and away from my other kids and away from my husband and all of these things, like, it was uncomfortable. But what that did for me was it made me realize that I can go through uncomfortable things and I can ride the wave until it gets comfortable again. And mm -hmm. so for me, like when I first did like a Facebook live into my group or whatever, like I was terrified. And, but I just, I kept riding the wave because I knew that eventually I would get over it and it would be fine on the other side. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's really what I try to help people do because I understand going from this place of vulnerability with your kids and husband and being completely at a loss of control to think about trying to do something new, you know, because some people would go from like, my husband was getting up for work, right? Like he was getting up to go to work and his arm and leg weren't working. And so it's like, sometimes these things happen. You're not expecting them to happen. And they happen. I went to go have an ultrasound and they're like, nope, you got to have a baby today. Sorry. And then all of a sudden you think you're going to come home with this bundle of joy and no, you're being life flighted to the hospital. Like these things happen. And sometimes you don't even have time to prepare or time to think about it. And so it's like, that's why for me, like I, I meet people where they're at in this journey because I know like you may not have ever thought about doing this before. You might've loved your job. And all of a sudden, life just threw you for a loop. <laughs> you know, we can't predict what life is going to do. We can't predict what's in store for us. And I saw that 100% being at the hospital and saw some families go through some crazy stuff that I wouldn't wish on anybody. So the best I can do is just do what I do and help them to the best of my ability. And, you know, that's obviously what you're doing with this podcast. And I, you know, and I love that. That's why I was honored you asked me to be on because, you know, anything that can be done to help other people going through and navigating through these hard times where they don't think that there's an end in sight, it's important to have that support of people that are going through the same thing you are. Exactly. So you obviously, you have a crystal clear grasp of how fragile life is. Tell me what are those moments that you just cherish and hang on to? And what are the, what are your favorite moments that you just kind of tuck away inside with your family? It really is honestly like, cause I have three older kids that obviously don't live at home anymore. You know, it's the holidays. It's when everybody schedule is cleared and it's just time to hang out. You know, it's usually like my son is working or my daughter's working or my other daughter's working or she's got her kids or, you know, whatever. Like there's, there's always something. And one day it just so happened. One of them called me, Hey mom, what are you making for supper? 
And like half an hour later, mom, what are you making for supper? And then the third one, hey, mom, I'm thinking we should have supper. So like all three of them in the same day without even having talked to each other were like, I'm like, yeah, come on over. And so they ended up just all three showing up to come and have supper randomly one day, completely unplanned. And then like they're big into like riding motorcycles and stuff like that. And so like all the kids hopped on something and we went like exploring in the woods and you know, it was just one of those completely unplanned moments where everybody had a free schedule and that just doesn't happen. Life is just so busy. So it was one of the, it was a moment that I really, really cherished when you just get to spend that time that you don't normally get to because life just takes everybody in different directions. Oh, I love that. There's nothing like having the whole family together. And especially when they're older, you know, I mean, they're 26 to four, right? Yeah. (laughs) The 26 old is like, she's busy with her own kids, you know? One last question before we close out. And that's for anybody out there who's just starting the journey with special needs or medically fragile children or anybody who's just maybe at this particular moment, struggling a bit with everything they're dealing with what kind of advice or encouragement would you like to give these families you know honestly one of the things that i see people struggling with is they think that having a child with special needs is some sort of like horrible curse i guess you could say everybody has this fantasy of having the perfect child and you know this white picket fence type of scenario right like we all think that we're going to have these perfect kids and the perfect family and whatever and then you have a special needs child and then you're like, well, why me? And you ask this question. And the biggest piece of advice I can give you, honestly, is that your child was given to you for a specific reason because there's no guarantee that just because they're healthy when they're born, that they're going to stay healthy. And looking at my daughter, for instance, you know, she was three and all of a sudden we were told that she was almost deaf and needed hearing aid. And then she's nine and all of a sudden we have diabetes and diabetes has taken almost more management than the son with down syndrome minus the hospital stays. And so like, just because you have a seemingly healthy child doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. An accident can happen. A brain injury can happen at any time. You know, there's just so many scenarios. And so I just want you to know that like, if it happens where you have a child that has special needs or something happens, there was a reason and there is a silver lining to that reason. Could be the people that you're going to meet in your journey. The people that I met, I would have never met if I went to Pat Carter or Taylor. And there's some of the best people in the world that, that I've had the privilege of knowing. It could be where you have to stay or go. It could be another family that you meet because they have a similar situation. Like there is a reason that it happened and you just got to be looking for it. Look for why and look for the good things and don't dwell on what you think is bad because there are no guarantees and something could happen later on. So it just makes me sad when I see people like super depressed about having special needs or something happen because it's like, I've got the perfect example of all of these healthy kids that I had that something ends up happening later on, you know, right. um, my son was diagnosed with diabetes at 10 and it's like, I wouldn't just like, you're too much work. You know what I mean? Like he's been my son for 10 years. I'm not just like, Oh, you're too much work now. You know? I mean, yeah, it was a, it was a process and I learned it, but now it's just part of our life. It's just what we know. So the same should be given to kids no matter what special needs they have or physical needs they have. So that's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah. I love that. And it's perfect what you said that 
you just learn what to do and that's what you know. You just figure out what you need to figure out and you just keep moving forward with life. It just, it makes you realize what you're truly capable of. And some mm -hmm. people don't know until they're put in that situation. And then it's really eye-opening at how, how much power you have inside of yourself to learn these new things. And it, and it brings you to like new heights. I don't know how to explain it, but like I'm a completely different person now than I was five years ago. And not just because I'm five years older, but because of the experiences that I've had with my kids and with other families. That's just so good. I think you're right in that it just shows you what's really important and where you should be putting your concern and your effort and your focus. I mean, why is dinner so important when you have a child that you've almost lost and they could have your time and attention? Dinner will get there, it'll get taken care of, but you know where your focus should be and what's important. Yeah, it completely changes the perspective. Tara, thank you so much for letting us in on your family and sharing with us today and just being so honest with us and sharing all of your truths. Well, I appreciate you having me and allowing me to do so. I hope it helps somebody today. I'm sure it will. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank everyone for listening today. You can find all the links and show notes for today's episode at anamazingtheordinarylife.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you left a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. As always, I would love to hear your story. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact me at my website or email me at amazinglyordinary at yahoo.com. And don't miss next week's episode where we'll be talking with Kelly Warren about what it's like to deal with her son's traumatic brain injury. I hope you'll join me then.